Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Do you remember Election Day in November of 2018? Senator Claire McCaskill was in a hotly contested race against Republican challenger Josh Hawley, which ended up being not all that close in the final outcome. Congresswoman Ann Wagner was also facing a serious challenger. Emotions were running high, and in some communities, people lined up around the block to cast a ballot. But that was just some communities. Others had no weights at all. And according to a new study from Washington University, whether your neighborhood saw a long wait was correlated with whether your neighborhood has predominantly low-income residents and whether the majority are black. Here to discuss this important issue is Gina McClendon. She's the Director of Voter Access and Engagement and Financial Capability at the Center for Social Development at the Brown School at Washington University in St. Louis. She's the co-author of the new study, Will I Be Able to Cast My Ballot? Race, Income, and Voting Access on Election Day, which was published on September 24th. Gina McClendon, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. We're also joined today by Gary Stoff. He's the Republican Director at the St. Louis City Election Board. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And finally, we're joined by Eric Fay. He's the Democratic Director of Elections at Saint, at the St. Louis County Board of Elections. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. And for those of you listening out there, what was it like to vote at the polling station in your community? Have you encountered logistical challenges to cast your vote, like long lines or accessibility issues? Has something else ever ca- kept you from casting your ballot? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. So Gina McClendon, let's start with you since this is the study that you led. What sort of challenges to voting did your study find? Well, one of the several things that we found, and and what we were trying to do is to research research whether features of the electoral process, so for example, the buildings, the equipment, election workers, make it harder to vote in some communities, um, particularly those uh, community in communities of color and low-income communities. And so on Election Day in 2018, we sent researchers at 20 different polling locations in St. Louis City and County. One, some of the things that, um, that we found is that um, the circumstances in which a voter casts a ballot, it varies by race and income of the community where the voter resides. So uh, we're, we're not saying that this is intentional, but it is nonetheless a clear pattern in the study. So for example, there were voters encountered more obstacles in predominantly black and low-income neighborhoods. Voting machine malfunctions and confusion about polling pads were reported only at predominantly black polling places. Sites in communities with higher percentages of black residents and in communities with low income and had fewer election judges and more interference with the free passage of voters, like, for example, crowded doorways, electioneering. We found long lines and a lack of seats for voters were more common at predominantly black polling areas. So, for example, long lines were, but but that wasn't true of all of the polling places. We did find long lines at one of the predominantly, predominantly white community. We also observed um, a higher police presence at polling places in higher poverty communities, but none at the low poverty, predominantly white polls. Mm. And then one of the the final other things that we found is that high poverty polling locations were more likely to have conditions that prevented voters from 
pleading ballots and privacy. So in other words, the conditions such as the lack of seating for voters, completing ballots, and lack of privacy screens. So those are just a few of the things that we found. And would you say you found a strong correlation or just that the correlation was there? There was a, um, I wouldn't describe it as strong, only in that we were only able to, to do 20 so it's obviously a limited City. sample. It was a limited sample, but yes, it did exist. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned police presence at the polls. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what kind of impact would you see that having? What, why would that be something you'd look at? Well, it's one of those things if um, low-income people and um, people of color typically have issues with the police. So just based simple things like... Um, speeding tickets. And so maybe they don't have the funds to pay for that ticket. Mm-hmm. So if they go there, they may have a um, a warrant out for their arrest. So they're more likely to leave just to see the police presence. Now, let me just say this. Again, this is not necessarily the case because what I saw for myself is that oftentimes police are there just to escort the election officials when they're collecting information. Mm-hmm. So so they're there for a good reason, and, but it might make and, people nervous. It could, right. Okay. And so we're, we're not sure exactly why they're there, but that is one particular reason why they could be there, not there to intimidate people. Although, you know, we've heard that that happens that from time happen. to time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gary Stoff, I want to ask you about this in particular because you are one of the election directors for the city of St. Louis. And we all know that the city of St. Louis, it, it has... It does have a crime problem sometimes. Um, why would you have police presence at the polls? Are, are you trying to maybe staff neighborhoods that might be maybe, maybe perceived as more dangerous? Or is that not how it's, it's decided where you're going to put them? Well, actually, we do not staff the polling places with police officers. Okay. Now, in the city of St. Louis, we have 28 wards. Mm-hmm. And so for every ward, we have a team of roving deputies, one Republican and one Democrat. And they ride in a police car throughout the day. Now that, for two reasons, one is sort of security for them and security for and the integrity of the election ballots when they pick them up, but also because they can, they don't have to worry about parking. They get in the police car, Mm -hmm. the police car takes them where they need to go. Typically, the police officer will escort the roving deputies into the polling place. They will stand off to the side and not interfere with the process. And then when the Roving deputies have completed their assignment at that particular stop, then they will be escorted back out to the car. So we we never have a police officer assigned to a polling place. And Gina McClendon, does that jive with what your observers witnessed? Yes, I, I think it does. That these were roving mm-hmm. officers. And and but although it couldn't necessarily be substantiated because we asked our researchers to just observe, just look at what they saw inside and outside. Okay. So we weren't asked we didn't ask them to make judgments about what they thought. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're getting a number of calls here. I'm going to go to the phone lines here in a minute. And if you're interested in participating, just want to remind you that you can call us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. But first, I wanted to ask um, Eric Fay a question, since he's here representing St. Louis County. Eric, any sense of why we would see much longer wait times at one polling station versus another? That's an excellent question. I think when you talk about wait times, especially last year, last November, this is relative. Um, we didn't experience, at least in St. Louis County, very long wait times at very many polling places. But And what would you categorize as very long, like more than an hour? Or? More than a half hour okay. wait would be, you know, that, that's 
anything more than a half hour, you know, that's, that's not optimal for us. That's yeah. not optimal for us. Uh, but um, I think some of the things that Dr. McClendon found in her study uh, kind of reinforce uh, some of the challenges that folks like Gary and I face on Election Day. So building access in, in minority communities, which tend to be more economically disadvantaged communities, unfortunately, uh, the building stock is just not as modern as it is in more wealthy communities. So you're dealing with older buildings with less parking, with less uh, ADA accessibility and so forth. And as the election office, we have to use the buildings that are that are there in those communities. You and can't so, just move the polling station outside of the neighborhood. Correct. You know, yeah. you have to keep it, you know, close to where folks live. Absolutely. So that can be a real challenge. That, that is a real challenge for us. Absolutely. It is difficult. So folks should know that in Missouri, a public building like a city hall library, the that local governmental entity has to let us use that building for free. But a private building, a church, a bowling alley, a VFW hall, we have to go and ask the those building owners if they'll let us use it. And so sometimes they'll say, yeah, use our building. And sometimes we have a church or a VFW hall we've used for years and years. But unfortunately, sometimes the, you know, a church will get a new pastor and they'll say, you know what, we're not going to be a polling place anymore. Look somewhere else. And those are real challenges. So it is not as easy as just going down the street and saying, hey, this building's not so great. Can you down the street, you know, be a polling place? More, than, more often than not, the answer to us is no. Interesting. People just don't want to get involved with that. That's right. Mm -hmm. um, we did hear from Ryan in St. Louis on Twitter. He tweeted, I waited 30 minutes in line to cast my ballot at the Central Library in downtown St. Louis. Most of the parking around that polling place also isn't free. It felt like it was harder to vote than it should have been. Gary Stoff, how hard is it to figure out how to get places with good access and then to make sure people aren't waiting in line with an election like this that people are so keyed up about? Yeah. Well, like Eric said, it's always a challenge finding we have to have a certain number of polling places. So in the city of St. Louis, we have 112 polling places, and we look for polling places that are convenient for the voters in that neighborhood, where there is adequate parking, where there's disability accessibility. Uh, the St. Louis Public Library is really an ideal spot, but the caller is correct. Parking is an issue there because there are no immediate parking lots, for example. They don't have their own parking lot like you might find, say, at a public school. So we're constantly looking for new polling places to make it more convenient for the voter. Okay. Let's go to the phone lines. We've got David calling from Florissant. Uh, so this may end up being a question here for our St. Louis County guy, Eric Fay. Um, David, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Yes. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have a comment. Um, my polling place uh, was, has been for years, an elementary school, Combs Elementary School in Old Town Forreston. Uh, during the, the election of 2016, I, I went up there to vote only to find uh, a sign on the door stating to go to, that the polling place had changed to the Forreston Valley branch of the county library. And I thought, this is ridiculous. The, my, the, the postcard that the county sent out stating my polling place, which, again, has been my polling place for years, it still stated Combs Elementary School. So somebody at the last minute decided, well, we can't, we're not going to do it at the school again. Let's move them to the county library. David, thank you so much for that call. Um, Eric, not to put you on the spot here, but does that situation ring any bells for you? Do you remember what happened there with that last-minute switcheroo? 
I don't remember that particular situation, but last-minute switcheroos, as you say, uh, definitely happen um, in almost every election, and that's not something we at the Board of Elections ever want to happen. I'll give you a great example. This past April election, we had an apartment complex we had used for decades as a polling place. It came under new management, and the week before the election, the new management said, we, you can't be a polling place. So we had already sent all the cards out to all the voters. We send Anytime we move a polling place, we send two notices to those voters. But it was such short notice, all we could do is put signs up uh, to let people know it had moved. So we never want that to happen, but sometimes there are things out of our control. Okay. David, thank you so much for that call. Um, Gina, one of the things mentioned in this study is that lower income communities and communities that tended to have more people of color also had fewer election judges. Tell us, what would that, um, how would that end up mattering here? Well, it matters because if people have to wait a long time in line, they're subject to just leave. And so what's important about this whole study really has to do with the obstacles of the electoral process and can you consider that voter suppression. So we have so many laws that um, create voter suppression, but what are their process? Mm-hmm situations that create voter suppression too, intentional or or not. But, you know, a lot of times suppression, um, systematic biases and neglect create these kinds of things. And so um, I think it's important to figure out what can we do to try to make it better. Gary Stoff, how Mm -hmm. big of a challenge is it to try to get election judges to serve in, in a neighborhood that maybe is lower income? Well, it's a huge challenge, but it has less to do with the neighborhood than sort of the reality that poll workers have a long day. Mm. So the polls are open from 6 in the morning till 7 o'clock at night, but we ask our workers to be there no later than 5 o'clock in the morning to start setting up. That takes a while. And when the polls close at 7, that simply means that any voter who's not yet in line does not get to vote, but anybody in line gets to vote. And so the poll workers can't get up at 7 and leave. They still have to finish not only processing voters, but also then taking down the, the signs and all the rest of it, gathering up the ballots. Uh, in the city of St. Louis, which is a heavily Democrat city, recruiting Republican poll workers is always a challenge. And by statute, we have to have at least one Republican and one Democrat poll manager for every polling place and one Republican and one Democrat election judge for every precinct. So it's a it's a tremendous challenge. What about this thing found in Gina's study about how voting machine malfunctions tend to happen more in poorer communities in the ones they served? Eric Fay, any sense of why that might be happening? Well, I think this speaks actually a lot to what Gary just talked about. Those those two issues are related. Um, so I think the listening public really should understand that the statutory framework under which we operate is really a hindrance to um, to election authorities in, in many ways. So we have to have equal numbers of Republicans and Democrats. Mm. In heavily one-party neighborhoods, it's really hard to find folks of the other party. So when you're really struggling to find election judges, you take who you can get. And sometimes getting that equipment set up on election morning or things like that is a struggle. So one one point I really want to make to everybody is that Missouri's statutory framework is is really outdated. Okay. In most of our neighboring states, you know, you talk about Tennessee, Illinois, Kansas, Iowa, 50% of the voters are voting before election day. In November 2018, 8.3% of the voters voted before election day in Missouri. So that's a huge pressure relief valve. If we in Missouri could start thinking about allowing more ways for people to vote before the election, we could 
take a lot of the stress off of Election Day. And we're almost out of time here, but Gina McClendon, real mm-hmm. quick, do you think that allowing more absentee voting would take care of some of these problems? Yes, it, but there's a, a, a caveat there. It has to be no excuse, not an excuse. Yeah. We that, can't wait to have absentee voting to, to fix these things. Well, not only that, I, what I mean is that in order to vote absentee, you actually have to say that you're not going to be in town or in the jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. So, which means that you have to have an excuse in order to use it. If we Under current Missouri law. Under current Missouri law, that would be really, really helpful. And that's okay. something I should add. 116 Missouri election authorities, bipartisan, they all agree we should eliminate the excuse the state legislature needs to address it. Okay. Well, this is a sobering conversation. I'm sorry we didn't get to all of our callers. I know we had some with some good points hanging out there, so apologies for that. Uh, Gina McClendon, Eric Fay, and Gary Stoff, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank Thank you. you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com.